It's an opportunity attack. Hello and welcome to this edition of a Opportunity Attack. My name is Dean Geiken, and with me in the studio today is Logan Whitney, otherwise known as L.D. Whitney, a new author that is has just released a book called Existence. Welcome, Logan. Hi. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. This is, yeah. uh, this is awesome. You're welcome. I always like to have people who've not had a chance to kind of talk about some of their endeavors, especially when it's uh, a new author like yourself, come on to the show and just kind of I hate to say promote themselves, but yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah, that's greatly appreciated. Um, I, I have actually listened to your podcast a little bit uh, since we're kind of like podcast family a little bit. Yes, we through, are brothers in mine, podcasting. So. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And we will talk about your podcast because I, too, listen to your podcast. It's called Rogues in the House, and I think it's one of the best podcasts out there for fans. Oh, wow. Fans Thank of, you. Yeah, but uh, if you're a fan of Sword and Sorcery, they need to check out your podcast along with Matt and Alex. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what we want to talk about right now is your book, Existence. But before we get into that, let's tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do professionally? What do you do for a hobby aside from writing books. <laughs> sure. Um, man, so I'm actually from Nebraska. I'm currently residing in New Mexico, um, but I grew up in the Great Plains in a tiny little town of 2,000 people. That and uh, very similar to what I grew up in. Ah, sure. So I actually really enjoyed being in a small town. Um, being in big city Albuquerque is a little different from my growing up, but I've also lived in like Washington, D.C., in Tucson, Arizona, and a few other places. I've been around... I'm currently a middle school teacher where I teach American history. Mm -hmm. I have also taught seventh grade New Mexico history, but uh, I've had quite a few different careers in my life. I started out as an archaeologist, which kind of feeds into some of my inspiration for writing in, in general. Right. Uh, but that was my bachelor's degree, archaeology. So I did that for a few years. So did you – let's, let's uh, focus a little bit on that. Have you done any, uh, any archaeological digs? I'm assuming that in New Mexico, there's all kinds of that stuff going on. So, yeah, actually, I haven't been on what, we, what an excavation, an actual dig. Excavations are kind of rare, at least for me. I do contract archaeology. So when either like the state or the federal government needs like a plot of a national park surveyed for a, a prescribed burn, or maybe an oil company is putting in a new pipeline, mm -hmm. um, and we survey the land for them. And if there's anything of massive archaeological significance, whether it's like a big site or whatever, uh, we mark it on a map, and then they know to avoid it so it doesn't get destroyed. Because excavation actually takes a lot of money on the company's part, and they want to avoid that. Um, they're not like actively destroying anything worthwhile. And uh, they can just kind of move around whatever they need to move around. So it kind of works out for everybody. So you're saying that, let's say, uh, an oil company wants to put a pipeline through and you do an archaeological survey and you find that it was, let's say, a Native American burial site. They would just work around that or at that point they have to excavate it and move it or... Uh, so the excavation comes out of their pocket. So if there's no other way for their pipeline to get to where it needs to go, they have to put the money up to excavate it. And unfortunately, that could take years depending on the extent of the site, which you really don't know until you dig. Um, ideally, they like to go around it if they can. Right. I seem so. to recall some building being built somewhere in, I want to say Chicago. This is a number of years ago, or maybe it was somewhere else. Maybe it was Washington or Boston. And they were going to build a new building, and they found that there was actually a grave site under this area, and it basically blew a hole in their plans for building oh, this, yeah, this building. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have actually only encountered human remains twice. Mm -hmm. So I guess my biggest one was a wind farm survey. And it's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's really just state law that needed it done because New Mexico in general is where I've done all my work. Um, they have so much archaeological material and for the most part, and this sounds really weird because like when you think of archaeology, uh, a lot of people think like bones and like buried cities and lost treasures and all this stuff. Of course you um, do, especially if you're people like you and I. <laughs> right, exactly. My favorite survey actually focused on uh, depression era dugout homes and it was an oil pipeline survey, but like we're out in the middle of nowhere 
just walking up and down this like short grass prairie and then all of a sudden you'll come to what used to be someone's home in the depression and it was so bad that they just dropped everything and left so you find like toys from kids or a car that's just rusted in place and like at the time uh women used to collect like uh tea like china Uh and so you'd find like collections almost intact but all like broken through time and it really tells a story of the people which you don't really get from the old stuff like i love the old stuff i do but it's way more fragmented and more guesswork and stuff like that wow that sounds kind of cool so what exactly and not to keep talking about the archaeology but it, it, it interests me um when you come across human remains you are a student of archaeology, obviously, so you must know almost immediately that it's not like some mob hit and that's where they buried the body, but it's actually maybe a much older uh, uh, resting place for someone who passed maybe 100, 200 years ago? Sure. Um, it really depends. So it's really hard to tell unless you like bust straight into like a full like burial it's really hard to tell a human bone between an animal bone, which is why we have like specialists um, called osteologists that kind of tell us, uh, hey, this is like a ground squirrel. Oh, this is a broken human bone. Um, so interestingly, New Mexico and Arizona, where a lot of archaeology is done, takes place kind of close to the border. Mm-hmm. I volunteered um, to do a survey at uh, – man – Coronado National Monument. Right. And uh, it's right along the border fence. And while I've never encountered it, I have uh, colleagues who have encountered, like, people that were clearly migrants that had died on the trip or whatever. So um, finding recent remains, especially in the southwest, is is probably just as likely as finding, sometimes more so, depending on where you're at, um, Hmm. likely is, is finding, like, an ancient... Uh, burial. Yeah. Now, here in central Illinois, most of what we have are Indian burial mounds and sure. lots and lots of arrowheads and, and what you would call, you know, Indian beads and that type of stuff, which is interesting because the farmers dig it up all the time. Every time they yeah. do a new plow, there's all kinds of new stuff coming up. And I think it's become almost, almost every place has been found. So all the farmers no longer, you know, farm those areas that are distinctively burial mounds anymore so it's kind of similar but you know ours are definitely burial mounds it's not where yeah. we're walking along ran out of water and keeled over <laughs> right right uh a lot of so i've always like the stuff where we found the the actual ancient stuff is um one t- one was in field school in arizona and uh it was uh they're called hohokam that's h-o-h-o-k-a-m uh they are relatives of the Anasazi or the ancestral Puebloans and they had like extensive cities and drainage ditches and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to have to apologize for my dog. He, he's right here. And if you hear him, that is Franklin. Sorry. I'm a dog <laughs> guy. So howdy, Franklin. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, that's, that's my archeology. span All right. Well, and that kind of leads us into the book existence, which I, um, I'm holding in my hand right now, uh, Existence. You wrote it. It came out, what, uh, August of this year? Yes, August this year. Okay, and I'm going to read the back for those people who've not had a chance to read it. Okay, here we go. This is from the back cover of Existence. After a harrowing encounter at the bottom of the world, biologist Adeline or Adeline? Adeline is what I say, but Adeline? it doesn't really matter. Okay, <laughs> Adeline Price wants nothing more than to get away from it all. Hounded by the media and the scientific community alike, her sister Penelope is the only person that stands between Ada and her nightmares. And when a stranger's proposal sparks Penny's interest, Ada is forced to rethink her plans. Jose Narvaez, a researcher studying life in the Amazon, approaches the sisters after stumbling across a creature that had roamed unseen for 12,000 years. For millennia, tribes have passed down stories of monsters living in the jungle. Now, evidence has come to light that threatens to reveal the hidden truths in age-old myths. Reluctantly, Ada and Penny agree to join his expedition, aiming to provide the world with proof that monsters do exist and deserve to be protected. But the Amazon doesn't give up its secrets without a fight, and there are more than myths and legends in the flesh-haunting the uncharted Amazonian wilderness. Some monsters are more human than not. And that is the a very good description of what this book is about. <laughs> and I can 
definitely see. I've read the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I can definitely see where your influence in archaeology and such uh, has had a bearing in this. But what other influences were had on this book when you started writing it? I mean, tell us a little bit about the book itself and what inspired you to start writing Existence. Sure. Um, so... As you probably know, and maybe some of your listeners, I'm a big fan of, like, classic Pulp Fiction, um, not like the Tarantino movie, but uh, Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Uh, and I, well, I love to read. I do. I have a very short attention span, so I'm very particular with, like, what I read, and uh, it has to really spark my interest. And at the time... I just didn't find anything that I knew that I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just set out to write something that I wanted to read and um, using all those pulp influences, but giving it kind of like a modern uh, modern setting, um, they, like through scientific viewpoints and character viewpoints. And a lot of pulp takes place in like the roaring 20s or 30s. And I put this modern day because um, that's what I wanted to read. I've since then found a few places to get to like scratch that itch. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, the book is not extensively long. It's actually just shy of the length of a Tarzan novel. So that's kind of what I was aiming for. We've got, uh, what, 177 pages with the small short story that goes Correct. along at the end. So yeah. um, I found it a very easy book to read. I love the the writing, and I actually really enjoy the formatting that you had for uh, the typeset and the way that it's all uh, laid out. I found it very easy to read and and uh, easy on the eyes. Thank um, you very much. And the uh, you mentioned that it's definitely that you're a fan of, of Pulp Fiction. This is modern Pulp Fiction, and this is just one big pulpy book. I mean, <laughs> it's one big book. I love it. I, I, it's kind <laughs> of hard you. to hard to describe it, uh, especially if you're trying to compare it to 1920s and 1930s pulp fiction. But in a sense, you've done that. You've kind of brought that pulp fiction into the modern setting. Well, that was that was totally my goal. Um, really, it was everything. Like it's just a bunch of stuff I love, and a lot of the chapter titles are Easter eggs for like people that probably grew up on the same kinds of TV shows and books and stuff as me. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was a kid, I remember one day uh, I was sick from school and my mom and I, uh, like we were, it was winter and we were laying on the couch next to the fireplace and we were watching monster vision, which is like an old TNT, like uh, late night show. Right. Um, and they would play movies and like I watched, I don't even remember the name of it, but there's like the one where there's the giant killer rabbits. So we also watched like the thing and mm-hmm. the attack of like 50 foot Gila monster and like a huge, uh, like variety of old pul- pulpy sci-fi black and white movies. And, and I think, um, that went into it. Dad and I used to watch Ray Harryhausen, um, and who doesn't love like two giant monsters fighting each other, Absolutely. which comes up later in the book. Yes. Like it's all, all the things that I love are in there. It, what is your favorite part of the book? I'm going to tell you what my favorite oh. part is to begin with. And it is honestly, because this is the part that grabbed me right off the bat was chapter zero ghost ship. When, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with this creature, basically, uh, what is it? I'm trying to find the, uh, the the rotocetus? Yes, yes. I mean, it's only the chapter is only like what four and a half pages long. Yeah, it's not long. <laughs> Man, it grabbed me right then and there. And I will tell you that as I'm reading the action scenes, uh, for anybody who picks this up and is a fan of Pulp Fiction, especially the stuff you know, like you mentioned, Howard and 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 Lovecraft and and people like that, the action scenes actually had a visceral physical effect on me i was my heart rate was elevated a little bit as i'm reading through it and i'm like wow this is really good and i gotta commend you most books that i read i enjoy but they don't really ever get me kind of like you know in a edge of my seat you know elevated heart rate type of uh, condition wow thank you that's um that's flattery at its finest there. Um, I appreciate that. And that's, um, that's in all honesty. I am not doing that just to kind of stroke your ego. It's it's the truth. This is well done stuff. Thank you very much. Um, I 
took a lot of that like the action scenes and the descriptions i don't think there's anyone better like in history than robert e howard um Mm -hmm. as i started out writing when i was fairly younger i was more like the horror like i I loved hp lovecraft that was my first introduction to pulp so i have like a collection of like like pulp horror i guess cosmic horror type stuff but then i found robert e howard and well i'm not going to compare myself to the man that invented conan (laughs) by any means uh but the way he describes action scenes i took a lot of cues from because it's not like a blow by blow um exchange of whatever it's uh it's kind of like a sweeping generalization with um I like sparks and and flame thing flame ah things flaming blue and stuff like that, um, which is kind of how I tried to uh, do my action scenes. Right, right. So um, you mentioned something about Easter eggs in the book with the titles and stuff like that. And I just as I was reading the back piece there, um, one of the main characters, Adeline Price, sounds a lot like Novalyn Price, who was Robert E. Howard's uh, love interest. Um, <laughs> back in the day was that intentional uh actually no that's uh that's genius <laughs> I, I had no idea like i know who noble and price is and uh i actually i had no that's not what i was thinking of when that i was came a up subconscious, with it so. that was a subconscious effort on your part yeah right that there. was good yeah. uh, uh so Adeline, um, it has a long story, but I like to call her Ada because that's uh, Ada Wong from Resident Evil 2. Okay, all right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Penny doesn't really have any uh, true inspiration, but uh, the isn't that the that's the I'm going to say niece of Inspector Gadget. I think which so. is kind of where I got that from. I think so. I think so. And then Narvaez um, is the last name of one of my favorite explorers. It's the Narvaez expedition that gets shipwrecked on. Uh, oh, they guess they kind of disband in Florida searching for gold, and then Cabeza de Vaca comes out of that, gets shipwrecked on uh, on an island in Texas, and wanders America for like X amount of years. Wow. Um, so there's little nods to history in there. Yeah. A lot of the reviews on Amazon are comparing this to kind of a, a Tomb Raider sort of feel. Yeah. Would you agree um, with that? Definitely. So I think Adeline is kind of modeled after what they did with uh, Lara Croft in the reboot reboot series, which is Tomb Raider, Rise of, Rise of the Tomb Raider, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Because um, it's more like about being like a gritty survival kind of thing and i wanted to kind of combine that with tarzan really Mm -hmm. like she's at home not in like cities or civilization or whatever um while she comes into conflict with the natural world um that's kind of where she feels more at home i think so this is set in the amazon um obviously have you been there have you had any excursions personal i have i have not it's on the to-do list i did recently last summer i went to peru so Mm -hmm. i was close but i didn't have my yellow fever shot so i didn't actually take like a trip down into the amazon um i spent most of my time up in the mountains and i went and saw machu picchu and stuff like that all right well that's i think i remember seeing that uh we are facebook friends and i remember seeing that and i wasn't quite sure if you actually made it down anywhere close to the amazon so you have to have your yellow fever shot before you get anywhere close yeah um yellow what's yellow fever malaria um dysentery happens a lot um (laughs) don't drink the water yeah exactly uh i don't want to go the route of the oregon trail uh but but i didn't have that stuff um i didn't really have the time i was only there for a week it was a solo trip and my very first solo trip so i wanted to kind of play it safe and so i stuck around the city of Cuzco. i did spend one night um at the foot of machu picchu at a hostel in this tiny little town there which was an adventure in all of itself but uh well, I'm glad you made it back safely. I mean, you're traveling solo. There'd be no one to care for you had you, yeah. you know, had anything yeah, it go was, awry. It was an experience. Um, Would you do it again? So my, what was that? Would you do it again? Yes and no. Um, <laughs> I'm a very social person, and so there were times like I just didn't have anyone to talk to. So it was just like me and my thoughts, which is fine. I'm okay with me and my thoughts. Um, but I felt kind of lonely. I didn't meet um, a pilot. 
uh, for the Air Force, and we hung out for a little bit, and I met um, a guy from Holland who was originally from India, and we hung out for a little bit and talked and had dinner together and stuff and saw some ruins, and that was fun. That's cool. For the most part, it was just me. Um, So... You know, it's cool to be like a solo traveler and adventure and stuff, uh, but I also kind of missed having some personal connection and sharing that like adventure with someone. I could agree with that. I'm I'm much the same way. I can have a good time by myself, but at the same time, I would kind of like to share that good time with loved ones or people who have yeah. a shared interest in it. Totally. So. Okay, so let's. Uh, uh, we're talking a little bit about the. Still talking a little bit about the book and your influences. Uh, who is your favorite? You've already mentioned that Howard and Lovecraft and and other pulpy past authors are some of your favorite influences, but who's your current favorite author right now? Do you have one? I do. Um, So in my endless search for something that, like, piques my interest long enough to finish it, I ended up finding the book Amazonia by James Rollins. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, James Rollins, I think, is a lot like me. Um, I think his in his biography, it says that like his favorite stories growing up were Doc Savage books. So pulpy influences. Um, he's got a whole series called Sigma Force, which is like all these scientists or there's soldiers that were trained as scientists and they go out and do pulpy adventures. And sometimes there's monsters, there's one with robots and there's cloning and they're, they're full length novels, but it's, it's a lot of that stuff that I really like. Mm -hmm. And while it's an extensive series, the best part about it is that they're all essentially standalone, which is Um, good for people who don't want to collect the entire story. Exactly. Uh, like, I applaud authors or readers or anyone who can read like 13 like billion page books about whatever <laughs> epic fantasy series. That's awesome. I can just never find the time and it can't keep my interest long enough. And whether it's like some kind of ADD or whatever, I don't know. But uh, the short thing, standalone things really appealed to me. So like all of my novels that I have planned, they're all standalone because I want someone to be able to pick it up take it on vacation, finish it, and then be done, and then not have to worry about remembering characters or plot threads or whatever. So Yeah, I'm kind of a mix of that. I enjoy those short one-off stories that I can, you know, pick up and, like you said, read it during a vacation or over a weekend or something like that. But I'm also a big fan of some of the bigger epic yeah. fantasies and such like that or science sure. fiction. My current favorite author right now is Joe Abercrombie. I don't know if you've uh, read him or not, but this I have. He is just uh, amazing in terms of his stuff. But we're not talking about him, we're talking <laughs> about you. <laughs> so, tell us, how does one go about getting published? This is your first publication. So, I'm sure that you didn't just, you know, waltz right up to the publisher and say, "Hey, I've got this great book. Print it. Let's make a million dollars." Yeah, yeah. Um, what goes into it in kind so, of layman's terms? Sure, I, I actually self-published this. This is this is all me and the work of my wonderful editor Laura, who um, I have to. She's read short stories of mine that will be in publication soon. Um, she's read this. She's reading my current one. Wonderful uh, editor, and she's an author herself. So. Um, I knew that my taste, well, I guess I don't know for sure, but what I wrote is not really something a major publisher is going to like pick up. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Not a big deal to me. Um, And it's good that you understand that because so many people think that they have the next greatest novel to put out there. Um, I have, so in my life, I set very low expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll never be disappointed that way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So... Um, I think my only goal for this one was to like have it pay for itself, and it has. I've made oh, my money awesome. back, um, and I enjoyed the writing. So it's not like I count those hours as work hours. Yeah. But like the money for the uh, the cover and the editing and stuff, it's it's paid back. But I set out. I wrote my thing. I, I reread it, added some, took some out. I had Laura edit it. Um, and once you're doing that, like. I, I hate to say it, but really anyone can self-publish whatever they want. Um, Amazon is what it's published through, and I think they have, I think, eight months, if I remember, um, exclusive rights before I could take it to, like, 
Barnes and Noble and mm-hmm. sell it on their website for like nooks or whatever it is right. they use. Um, but you basically submit your manuscript. Uh, they review it for, I think it's probably very minimal quality standards. Cause I've, I don't, I don't like hating on anybody's art or dream or anything, but I've read some less than well edited ebooks on Kindle. Well, I have um, a, I have yeah. a saying I work in radio and we get a lot of music submitted to us by artists who think that they have the next greatest hit. And much like probably writing, just because you can create something doesn't necessarily mean you should create something. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, totally. Uh, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, really, I know that there are fans of Pulp out there. And as much as I love Sword and Sorcery, because I do, it's probably my second favorite Pulp genre. Um, that seems to be the the pulp genre that gets focused on the most. There's magazines um, dedicated to it. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of people, and who who doesn't love Conan? But mimicking sword and sorcery, or not maybe not mimicking isn't the right word, but you know, playing off that genre. As much as I love it, there are other pulp genres that are just as interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, cyberpunk is very pulpy. Uh, there's crime stuff. There are pulp westerns, um, pulp adventures. And I found a couple markets for those, and um, I haven't – I've spent a lot of time on my novels, so I haven't submitted any short stories recently. Um, but I really wanted to focus on that group of people that want to read something pulpy, and that's what they're looking for. And that's what I set out to do. Yeah, and I would have to agree that, you know, if you were to write something in the sword and sorcery genre, you'd probably be up against, you know, a ton of other... I'm I'm not going to say that you're an amateur writer, but I'm (laughs) going to use that term for, like, you know, new published writers. Right. Um, You'd be up against a ton of other people who are doing the same thing, so you'd be kind of, like, lost in the crowd. Definitely. Um, I do have... So... Rogue Blades Entertainment is like an indie publisher that does anthologies every year. And I have a sword and sorcery story coming out. I think the goal was December, but it doesn't quite look like he's going to make the December deadline. Um, but both Matt from the podcast and I are in one of these anthologies of sword and sorcery stories. Mm-hmm. I'm also in a Weird West anthology of that group. And then I, what, I think in 2021, a sword and sorcery story of mine will be in Weird Book magazine. So I have other things out there, but they have not reached printing yet. Okay. So, so. let's, uh, you've got other stuff, you know, coming down the pipeline. Uh, yeah. Is it more of the same genre? Like, you know, uh, is it going to be with uh, Ada and uh, Penelope, or is it something totally different? Can you say? Um, so my next novel. I don't want to say it's totally different. Um, I think it fits right in there with what you would expect. Have you read Existence? Um, but it is a different character, and it is more on the Indiana Jones type thing because mm-hmm. it's less about the cool. monsters in the wilderness and more about archaeology. Um, but they will so, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Marvel movies. Um I love like my my old roommate and I have seen all the Marvel movies together and I love the idea of crossovers. So like this next character exists in the same world as Ada and like I have story threads planned out and eventually they will cross over mm-hmm. to have cool. an adventure together. Cool. So that's like my ultimate plan. But that's... uh it's all in this like modern pulp um styled world. So what's the uh, what's been the reaction so far uh, to the book? Uh, you said it's paid for itself, and it has. you enjoyed doing it. Uh, what's been the overall reaction to the book, um, both online in terms of sales and when people have actually met you in person? So my sales are you know they're fairly modest. Um, I'm still trying to figure out marketing. Um, I have a Twitter, I have Instagram, I have a website, and I I probably don't blog as much as I'm supposed to do, um, but I'm figuring it out. Um, so it basically just paid for itself. I think um, I spent about $200 on the cover, and that's about what it's gotten, which is fine with me. That was my goal. Um, the reviews are, are better than I could have asked for. Um, they're all very kind and encouraging. Um, I also welcome criticism. Like as much as I love five star reviews, uh, 
they're not necessarily always the most helpful in terms of like growth as a writer. Right. Yeah. So, um, I was really nervous though. Cause one of my like people I look up to, he's an archeologist in Arizona and, uh, he doesn't really read fiction all that much, but he picked it up because I wrote it and he really enjoyed it. And that meant a lot to me. Um, he also pointed out where one part, uh, one part of my research failed. Um, the caliber of bullet in the AK 47 is wrong. So, <laughs> um, I, I could have swore I found the right one, but when I wrote it, I guess I just, I must've misread or something, but he pointed that out and actually yeah, just knowing a... that maybe paying a little bit more attention to my research right. is, is a helpful thing. You need a 7.62 um, by 39 to be in an AK 47. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and that is not what I wrote. <laughs> hey, that's for that's for the revised edition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's gonna go in there. Um, so and also, yeah, just some just some tweaks about things that you know maybe your characters they didn't quite seem like they would do this and like all that kind of stuff is super helpful. Um, my grandma, uh, who I was also scared to have read it because it has like swear words in it, and like oh. <laughs> my grandma doesn't swear, uh, <laughs> but she loved it and she gave it to one of her friends who's like, you know, like a 70 some year old woman, and she read it and she loved it and passed it on to another 70 year old woman. Awesome. So I'm pretty sure I have a 70 year old woman fan club. So, but you need to tell grandma, hey, grandma, make them buy the book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That is true. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been well received. Good. Uh, that's yeah, that's what every author has, wants. They want at least to be yeah. you know well received. And a, a couple of bits of criticism do not hurt, and they go a long ways to making you a better author. I would think. Definitely. I mean, as long as everybody gets a little bit of cr- constructive criticism, I think we all become better. So, um, anything else you want to say about the book? We've already covered the fact that you've got another book coming out at some point. You don't know, yeah. and you're going to be published in some other uh, uh, other publications. Um, anything yeah. else that you want to? I mean, where can you find it? And this is the um, time you to promote it yourself. Currently on Amazon, you can buy it in both paperback and on Kindle, and mm-hmm. it is also on Kindle Unlimited. And Kindle Unlimited does help authors um, financially. It's all based on the number of pages that you read. So if you pick up a book and read the first hundred pages, that author gets a handful of of cents. But oh, really? if you finish the book. Um, and obviously you could cheat it like by going through a bunch and they don't count that because why would you? But if you like legitimately finish the book, it pays the author a little bit or like X amount of dollars for finishing the book. So Kindle Unlimited helps too um, if you are a subscriber to Kindle Unlimited. Hmm. Uh, my, my next novel I think I'm due out um, for February 14 of next year. Nice. I thought Valentine's Day would be kind of uh, happily ironic based on the uh, the theme of the book. so Gotcha. Well, now, I have the copy. It was uh, very affordable. I think on Amazon it was $9? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was 9 bucks. And I'm keeping mine in fairly pristine condition because I love <laughs> books and I don't try to break the backs or anything like this because I assume at some point you and I will actually meet face-to-face and I'm going to have you sign this sucker. Oh, man, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little, let's kind of veer off a little bit here towards the uh, second half of this interview. You, as you said in the beginning, are a fellow podcaster and you are one of three, much like myself, part of a triumvirate of podcasters. And it is the Rogues in the House podcast. So tell us a little bit about the Rogues in the House podcast. Oh, man. So we actually just recorded our first year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are officially moving into season two territory. And many, I believe that episode will be out now? next week. Um, and I think we've gone through a lot of content for a year. We yes. try and do bi-monthly. Um, and uh, we kind of just met. We were on this uh, this web or Facebook group that Matt runs uh conan gaming group right and conan exiles had come out and we all three had a playstation so we all got on and played a little bit together and i think it was alex who ended up saying man you guys have a lot to say and i love to have a podcast and then we just kind (laughs) of threw one together (laughs) isn't it funny how podcasters are the people who just won't shut up yeah, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> Whether they've got anything interesting to say or not, I suppose. So you guys uh, are primarily talking, I've listened to, 
I think, every one of your podcasts so far. Um, you talk a lot about the genre of sword and sorcery, but you don't limit it to just that. You're talking a lot about, you know, uh, you talked a little bit about gaming and world building and gaming and stuff like that. Uh, where can you be found? Pretty much anywhere that podcasts are found? Yeah, uh, we run our we, we run our podcast through a platform called Anchor, mm-hmm. but we're also on Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, we're on iTunes. Alex rigged it up so you can uh, you can ask Alexa to play the most recent uh, cool. the recent episode. That's kind of fun. That's interesting. I, I yeah. my radio station is on uh, Alexa, and we have a commercial that actually says, and if anybody's got their Alexa on right now, this may hit it. It'll say Alexa, play WPCD in the commercial well i've had some people call in and say hey i was listening to your radio station and you turned on my alexa (laughs) so maybe (laughs) there's a there's a little trick (laughs) there for you so uh you guys do the uh, rogues in the podcast you've been doing it now for about a year uh what are your plans for the future with the rogues podcast so um we have a lot that we're trying to do um we realized i think fairly recently that while maybe not the only one, we're certainly um, large and within the easy reach of the community. So we had we had more people turn out to listen than I th- than I think we expected initially. So we're trying to keep our we're trying to maintain a more regular schedule. Uh, we do have some things that we are going to develop. Uh, we realize that we're all running off janky computers and microphones. Um, and we are hoping to have a rogues in the house, like short story collection come out soon to maybe draw some funds to make our technology better stuff that so, you've written yourselves or stuff. That yes, you're, okay. that is correct. Um, Matt and I, um, are both, um, big into writing and Alex has, uh, dabbled in poetry. So there will be a a variety of sword and sorcery inspired writings available um for like very cheap like a buck 99 and hopefully we can generate some funds to um make our make our podcast better and more professional we like to joke a lot that we're like dollar store chromcast um, <laughs> which is another robert e howard inspired podcast um right. but uh yeah we're trying to trying to be more professional about it i think well i do have something that i'd like to put on your plate and uh um as you know i also do a podcast and i'm a fan of robert e howard you guys are fans of robert e howard and i say that we should all get together and go down to the robert e howard days uh next year and do a a podcast from the robert e howard museum home that would be awesome and i can tell you that i will be there oh Um, what about the other two so last I knew, Alex can't make it because I think his daughter is doing ballet recitals. Like every year they're at the same dates and they're always during Howard days. And I think Matt is going to try his best to be there. But being in Canada, um, it's Nova a little Scotia, more, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's being a little more. um it's more investment on his part. Yeah. Well, so. I went last year and I had a good time, and I think I need to go at least one more time to really enjoy it fully. Um, sure. Each year is is different. So, uh, but we're talking yeah, about yeah. Going to do comics this time, right? Yes, I think so. I think which is really kind of cool because you know many people their exposure to Conan is through the comic books and not through the stories. Yes. So, okay. Well, I want to uh, finish up this uh, this interview with a little bit of a thing that I call rapid fire questions. Okay. And if you'll play along with me, this is basically to kind of get a a feel for what kind of a nerd slash geek you are. Do you consider yourself a nerd or a geek? I do. Um, this is I when I read your notes, I'm actually kind of nervous for this because let's see, <laughs> I'm going to see how well I do. Um, well, you don't. There's, <laughs> there's no right or wrong answers. I'm going to okay, basically okay. give you a question, and you answer one of two ways. Well, sometimes there's three, and it usually ends up just turning into kind of a conversation starter more so sure. than anything else. Um, and there's no right or wrong. You don't win anything. Um, <laughs> you may find out, that, or people may find out, they're like, "Oh, wow, he's pretty cool," or "I can't stand that guy." because he likes this, that type of stuff. Sure, so, sure. Okay, so I'm just going to start off with the first question. Sci-fi or fantasy? 
I'm going to say, oh, that's so hard. Uh, <laughs> See, it makes you think, doesn't it? I lean towards sci-fi. Okay, all right. I That's a tough one for me, too, because I, I love fantasy, but at the same time, I cut my teeth on sci-fi. Sure, so, yeah. Uh, my stories often have a more sci-fi bent than fantasy, um, but I wouldn't go so far as to say, like, I'm huge on, like, hard fantasy. I'm very much a uh, Captain Kirk as opposed to a Jean-Luc Picard. Okay. Well, actually, that's one of the questions coming up, but we'll get to that here in just a All second. Right. Uh, DC or Marvel? And I don't Marvel. necessarily mean m- movies. It could be all yeah. of them. So you're definitely um, Marvel. I prefer Marvel. Um, I So I, my best friend loves DC. He loves Batman mm-hmm. and uh, all that. And my... My big issue, I guess I have with DC is that like Marvel's universe as insane as it is makes sense to me, but like I know Batman is supposed to be a detective and he's not supposed to be part of the DC universe and it's really hard for me like he got absorbed later on after like comics got bought out and stuff and then they became DC. It's just really hard for me to see Batman, the detective, fighting alongside aliens and gods and all this stuff. Yeah, it's really, exactly. I just can't put it together. Yeah, and I mean, any one of those gods and aliens and stuff could squish Batman, right? Right, right. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Whereas Marvel's insane and crazy, and somehow it makes it all work, because mm-hmm. I think it takes itself a little less seriously, in my opinion. Um, but... That's a whole different thing. Right. Okay, here's the next one. Star Trek or Star Wars? I prefer Star Trek. You and I can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like I like Star Wars well enough. Um, I, I basically, it's, I think it's hardly sci-fi. Like, there's not a lot of science in it. It's, it's more just, fantasy. Right, right. Um, and I really like the original Star Trek series mm-hmm. Same um, here. because uh, so I'm named after a Western character, uh, Logan Sackett from Louis L'Amour's Sackett series. Yeah. And some of my first books that I read, adult books I read were Louis L'Amour books. So I like Westerns and Star Trek, the original series really appealed to me because it has a lot of that Wild West. We're going to the uncharted frontier and making discoveries and all this stuff in it. So that's kind of like where they connect yeah. for me. Gene Roddenberry kind of described it early on as wagon train to the stars. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well then I'm going to skip the Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. I'm going to go right to <laughs> Kirk or Picard. Um, I, I got I to gotta go with Kirk. Um, as as a human, I enjoy the acting of... Uh, of Gosh, and now I'm going to blank the actor's name because I'm on live. Well, I'm going to I'm going to ask you this question: Shatner or Pine? Ooh, oh, 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 oh <laughs> man! Um, I actually really enjoyed the reboots. Me too. Um, me too. Uh, they they were good action movies. I hear that Quentin Tarantino is going to take his. Uh, take like on the third one, which could be interesting. Um, but you can't beat Shatner. He's cheesy. He he knows what he is. Uh, and the flying jump kick is iconic. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's so funny you should mention that because that comes up all the time when you talk about Star Trek. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. what defense do you have against the flying jump kick? There is none. There, nothing. <laughs> it's a critical hit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, move on to some other things. Um, Full snap, full snapshot of an alien or of Bigfoot. Oh, uh, I gotta go with Bigfoot. Aliens terrify me. <laughs> I'm not scared of very much, but the idea that aliens come and abduct people and take them away has always given me nightmares. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I'm a big like. I don't actually. I don't think Bigfoot exists. I just don't think it's scientifically possible. But I do love um, cryptozoology. Um, it, it's just fascinating to me, like the idea that you know these things might still exist somewhere, and the stories and stuff people build around them are fascinating to me. But you know what? You- There's this book called Existence that talks about something <laughs> like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. You nailed it. Uh, okay. So, uh, would you rather go forward or backwards in time? backwards easy um that's probably the archaeologist in me talking and i couldn't tell you exactly which era of time i'd love to go to most um i would love to see the ice age 
Uh, I would love to see Bronze Age Greece and Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. I would love the Wild West and the Age of Exploration. But yeah, backwards for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, Book or audio book? Book. Um, I prefer paperbacks if I can get a hold of them. Um, I know Kindles and eBooks are really popular right now. Um, I just don't commute enough to to do the audiobook. And like, if I'm doing chores and stuff, and something's on, it's really hard for me to focus. So I'd have to sit and listen to the audiobook. So I might as well just buy the book and sit and read the book. Good point. Very good point. Uh, board game or video game? Uh. Depends. I, I do play a lot of video games, but I don't own a. I guess I don't play a lot of video games. I play them occasionally. I don't own more than ten. I'm very selective, just like with my reading. Um, and I do enjoy some board games, but like really, really long board games, kind of like really, really long book series, start to lose my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one board game that I absolutely adore. Um, it's uh, God house on haunted hill or something like that yes, i haven't I'm played it forever because yeah. my my roommate back in nebraska owns it but it's like randomized kind of like a dungeon crawl where you're trying to like escape a monster and there's so many scenarios so every time you play it is different it's so good yeah uh, okay uh die hard movie christmas movie or not definitely a christmas movie okay all right uh let's see here james bond connery or craig <sighs> Man, <laughs> um, I are, actually, yeah. oh, that's so tough. These James are questions that I came up with to just yeah. kind of evaluate people. But so you're, you're going to go with. So I'm going to have to go with Craig, I think. I kind of have to agree with you. I love as much as I love Connery. Yeah. Craig's yeah. portrayal of Bond is to me what I've always thought Bond was. Totally. Um, I do kind of. Like, some of the Craig movies are so good, and some of them are good movies, but maybe not great James Bond movies, I, I, but I love Craig's portrayal of James Bond. Yeah, exactly. Okay, sticking with uh, uh, movies that had different main lead character or lead actors, Mad Max, Gibson or Hardy? Oh, I gotta go with Gibson. I, I, love, I love Mel Gibson, as crazy as he is. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I like Fury Road a lot. It's a great movie, and I don't know if I've ever had my expectations subverted so often in a film, um, which is really good filmmaking, but I got to go with Mel Gibson. Wow, it sounds like you and I have a very uh, a lot in common in terms of likes <laughs> and dislikes. Okay, um, vampires or werewolves? Oh, shoot. Um, I'm going to... I think vampires. I think you can do a lot of cool things with vampire mythology, um, like if you have, if you've had the opportunity to see, um, from dusk till dawn, the TV series, mm-hmm. that's a cool way of doing vampires. I'm not sure you can play with werewolves as much just because it's just kind of what they are. They're right. just werewolves. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, would you rather the kit car from Knight Rider or the Batmobile? Kit car. <laughs> I think I'd rather have the Batmobile just because it looks cooler, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah. Totally does. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, I, I watched Knight Rider reruns as a kid. Yeah. So. Okay. <sighs> Superman, does he leap or fly? Well, I know he started out leaping. I kind of prefer that version of Superman. Um, but I mean, currently they haven't fly. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm I I don't care one way or the other. It's just yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it's a um, question. <laughs> I, I I kind of like the old Superman. Superman's a problematic character for me only because he's so perfect. Mm-hmm. I just I just don't know what's exciting. I can't find what's exciting about it personally. Right. Right. So. Now I know that this has uh, a little bit of an inside joke for us, or at least for people who listen to the podcast. Pirates or ninjas? <laughs> Pirates. Okay. You're not a fan of ninjas or monks as oh, far as no. I remember. <laughs> um, well, like, I think, like, I, I would wholly welcome Asian aesthetics and a sword and sorcery um, uh, story or whatever. Uh, like, the tropes of, like, the wandering kung fu ninja or monk and then, like, these unstoppable ninjas, like, they just don't do it for me. Right. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go a little faster here because we're kind of bumping up on time here. You got it. Dragon or giant eagle? Dragon. Same, same, same. Sword or bow and arrow? Uh, Sword. 
I'd go bow and arrow. I'm an archer. I, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, by by hobby and just preference. Right, I've seen the pictures. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Uh, what else we got here? Um, tacos or gyros? Tacos. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, gyros I, are Arizona, so good. Arizona, New Mexico. Okay. My girlfriend's Hispanic. Okay, okay. I get that. I get that. <laughs> okay, I get that. Um, do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Soda. Okay. Um dubbed or subtitled subtitled definitely definitely um here's a tough one this is going to be a little you might have to think about this enterprise or battlestar galactica Ooh, ooh. um i'm gonna go with enterprise that one i'm still undecided on because i love them both so much sure um both are good series but i haven't seen all of battlestar galactica which is going to make people hate me but it's true (laughs) right (laughs) okay uh let's see here uh live 1000 years or 10 100 year long lives 10 100 year long lives okay all right okay uh, and something else that you and I both share in common, I, uh, probably I think I know the answer to this. Conan the Barbarian movie, 1982 or 2011? 82. 80. Easy. Yep. The yeah. Schwarzenegger one, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> um, Florida or California? California. Okay. And let's see here. Uh, one or two last ones here. Let's see. Spicy or mild? Mild. <sighs> Midwest, man. I'm from the Midwest, and I like it as hot as I can get it. Good, good for you. I can't do it. <laughs> okay, and uh, let's see. One last one here. Let me see if I can find something, a good way to end it on. Um, here we go. Black licorice, yes or no? Yes. I will really? accept the existence of black licorice. All right. I like yeah. that answer. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I can deal with black yeah, licorice. Yeah, yeah. There's good black licorice, but there's also just like blah, black licorice. <laughs> yes, there is. Well, uh, Logan, I want to thank you very much for joining me on this opportunity attack. Um, I want to thank you for joining me and also for publishing, self-publishing the book Existence, because I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, you can get the book on Amazon, and uh, both in the hard copy, as I have in my hot little hands here, or in the e-edition, if that's what you prefer. But uh, I want to, when you do get another book written, I want to have you come back on the on the program, and we can talk about it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you so much for this. Um, this has been a blast. Okay, uh, and you, you are very welcome, and hopefully uh, we'll be able to talk again soon, uh, be it either via Facebook, podcasting, or maybe even in person down in uh, uh, Cross Plains, Texas. Cross Plains, Texas. All yeah. right. Well, for this Opportunity Attack, this is Dean Geiken saying thank you very much, and game on. Game on.